Good morning. Great to see you guys this morning, gathering together as the body of Christ to, to worship the Lord together, and that's just an awesome thing. Um, we are finish, finishing up this morning a sermon series called Our House. Um, so we really started this series looking at this somewhat confusing modern-day expression of what this thing is that we call church. Um, really, if you were to interview people, uh, either on the streets in America or maybe even in our church buildings, and um, what the church is, and especially if you watched people and their behavior um, and listened to the language that's usually tied to this church thing, um, I'm almost positive that we would come away thinking that church is primarily this feel-good concert um, where we listen to, a, to listen to and sing um, particular types of songs with kind of a Bible-based motivational speaker to throw in at the end, you know, that type of thing. Um, and so these, so Americans, some Americans choose their churches not usually on their, the church's views on God or even their brand, their denomination, but more important things like how the people who attend that church dress or, you know, what songs they sing, um, maybe the size of their video screens or the light show, the smoke, you know, uh, how interesting the motivational speaker is. Um, and some people even pick on numbers based on, you know, this thought that, that I need to make sure that we have all the options for the family, um, religious services. Um, you know, when you really think about it, people will drive by 100 churches and even go into a different town to find the church that's just right for them. Of course, even that's not the greatest terminology. We're actually talking about driving past hundreds of church buildings, right? Not actually churches, it's gathering, places where the church gathers. Uh, or maybe we just bypass the whole drive to church thing and just pick up our favorite worship concert online. Um, it really is consumerism at its best, church style. <laughs> The American church, woo! Am I, am, not, am I that far off on that description of some people's views of church? Um, now, I'm not trying to pick on worship concerts. Really, when I say worship concert, you may take offense at that, but I'm really talking about coming into a place as an individual um, and leaving as an individual, never connecting with the people that are there. You're just there to worship and then leave. Um, I really think those worship concerts have a place. Um, but as we've been looking at Scripture, that, that is not the church, right? That's not the church. And if we're attending a worship concert or, or even enjoying a moment in nature in the woods, um, really enjoying God's creation, which I think is also a worship concert, um, and that really is places that are really good for your soul, just hanging out, looking at God's creation and enjoying that together, um, Honestly, this, that is still not a replacement for being the church, at least according to Scripture that we've been looking at, right? What the Bible describes as the, as the church, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, is this group of people within a local community, a local area, that 
in all honesty, is so important to the world in which they live. Why are those people important? Well, in a lot of ways, the church, the people of God, are literally a foreign embassy for the kingdom of God. In a practical sense, God has placed us here in this community to represent and even demonstrate God in his ways, his kingdom, to a world, if we were to be honest, has lost touch with what that might even look like. They need people in their community um, being willing to share the love of God, to show what God is like, so that when those people in our community realize that the, realize that the ways of this world will never satisfy, that, that what they've been doing is never going to get to where they want to go, <laughs> when they actually go out looking for real hope, real peace, real joy, the real thing, God has placed us in this community to be a beacon of hope by the way that we live and the spirit who is present in our lives so that they may find the way to the real thing. Amen? Do you think that's true? And trust me, when they come looking for hope, in all honesty, they, they could care less whether we sing hymns or choruses or, I mean, they don't even know the songs, right? They could care less about the color of the carpet and the foyer. I mean, things that the church sometimes squabbles about. Not important to them. What are they looking for? They're looking at us. They're looking at the way we live, the way we interact with each other, and they're trying to figure out whether what we do is truly different than the world that they live in. Can they find the hope that they're looking for from this people? <laughs> and this is why Peter describes in 1 Peter 2 the church being a spiritual house, really the temple of God. We as the people are that temple. Each of us have the living spirit in us being like living stones stacked together into the house of the Lord where his real and living presence is among us. That somehow when we come together as a people, as a team, as we grow more and more like Christ as a group, people can find God. They can find hope in this assembly of people. In fact, this image that we've been using, our house, is, is really a cool image. You see the bricks up there? You know, those bricks are stacked together, and they're not in great shape, but, but they're hanging in there, right? And then we see this kind of mist. If you want to keep that on the screen there, go back one more. There you go. Um, you see that kind of mist in the sanctuary where kind of a symbol of the presence of God? That's us, right? Our house being God's house. And as a people of God, we have a specific focus as a people. The first one we talked about the first week, one is commission, as in the Great Commission. We talked about that week, Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus was going all over the place, he was teaching and healing, and yet he noticed that the people he was connecting with needed more. They needed more than just physical healing. They needed more than just teaching. <laughs> he, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep 
without a shepherd. They needed a shepherd, right? People need more than just good teaching. They need more than even healing from physical problems. They need a shepherd, the shepherd, right? Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He doesn't try to be everywhere. He actually sends his people, his followers, out to live among the people. As the mercy people, the ones who know the shepherd and have, ex- have experienced him, right? And what is their role living among the people? Not to convince people that the world's ways are wrong. They can figure that out on their own, in all honesty, right? But to offer an alternative to the world, to share what God has done for them, to introduce them to the life with the shepherd, right? We, as the people of God, need to be about sharing the good news with others through our words, but also through our lives, right? And the second focus that Scripture talks about, that we talked about the second week, was that the people of God should be in collaboration. Remember when we were talking about collaboration? Why is collaboration such an important piece to being the body of Christ? Well, for a number of reasons. But when, when you're thinking through this foreign embassy of the kingdom of God thought process, you can see that collaboration, working together, is simply not normal. It's not something that we do naturally in this world, right? Especially when the people that gather together are very diverse. It seems like the more diverse you get into as a group, the more <laughs> it would be amazing if they actually could work together, right? And, and think about this group. This is a pretty unique, diverse group that has gathered together. Nowadays, within the church, you have five generations of people, five different generations <laughs> with all their thoughts and ideas and songs and, I mean, all the different things there. How in the world could that even be possible that we'd work together? Well, it's a miracle. <laughs> Literally, God working through us. And the example we looked at in the second week was the church that God drew together at Pentecost in Acts 2. God gathered this group who came from all sorts of different areas of the world, right? And even spoke different languages. And yet, with God's help, they were able to work together. And God used them in incredible ways. And outsiders just couldn't help but want to be a part of that group. They just couldn't help it. I mean, think about it. If we really thought through what our hope is for the world, not the church, but for the world, our hope for the world is for all of us, no matter where we come from, for all of us to work together for the common good of all people, right? Wouldn't that be a great thing to have the world do? But we just can't get there in this world because it would require us to put aside our own agendas, right? Our hopes to get ahead of everybody else. How am I supposed to get ahead of you if I'm working with you, right? So usually, again, the more diverse the group, the more agendas, the more reasons to not work together. And yet, in the community of God, diversity is not a problem. Diversity is actually an advantage because in a diverse group, all of us with our God-given gifts and abilities, um, think of all the different things that we can do, what we, what we can accomplish because we're all different, right? And not just between us, but between the churches in our community and really stretching to all the world. The church is the body of Christ with 
Jesus as our head, this worldwide body working together in a way that people just can't pull off without God. Just can't happen. And you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12. We read it that week, starting in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them, right? There are different kinds of service. The same Lord, different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. No matter what your role is, no matter what your job is, no matter what gift you've been given by God, it's a gift from God. It's valuable, right? And then verse 7, how, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. What's that say? Well, we receive the gift, gift the, I can't speak, the gift, the, the skills that we have from the Spirit, not for our own good, but for the good of all, Right? And then verse 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now, someone would probably, some of you guys would probably argue with God. Well, I didn't want to be that part. I wanted to be that part, right? But just as he wanted them to be, if there were only one part, where would the, be, the body be? As it is, there are many parts, one body. Finally, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Are you excited about that? Our collaboration together is truly a witness to the world of God's work. Of course, we can't have this kind of collaboration without the third focus that we talked about last week, and that was commandment, as in great commandment. Loving God with all we have, loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's what we talked about last week. As the mercy people, we actually have experienced the Savior who, who put our interests above his own, right? He was willing to die on a cross so that we might have life. And this is what he requires of us. We need to, as a people, put God's interests above our own. And we need to put our neighbor's interests above our own. So you remember those two questions I kept asking over and over again, and you got annoyed probably by the end. Question one, as we go into situations in life, what does God want me to do? That's the controlling question of that verse, right? What does God want me to do? And number two, if I were in my neighbor's shoes, what would I want me to do for me, right? If I were in my neighbor's shoes, what would, what would my neighbor want from me? And this is not hard to see how this kind of love is a witness to our world of God's ways, right? Why? Because it's not natural. Again, it's not natural, <laughs> We don't see people living this way in our world. In fact, Jesus made it clear that this would be a witness to the world, how we love each other, right? John 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, Jesus said, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. What's he saying? Your love for each other will point people to me, right? Not me, but to Jesus. <laughs> Your love for each other will point people to Jesus. 
right? The great commandment. Now, have you noticed that as we work through these different things, that, that as we look at Scripture, it seems like Scripture has a lot to say about Christians, followers of Jesus, not, not just individually, but as a group, right? I think it's unfortunate, actually, in the English language that we don't have a, a, a distinction between you and the singular and you and the plural, where we don't always know when someone says you whether, whether they're talking about you or whether they're talking about you, whether they're talking about us or just me, right? And I think it would actually be really helpful when we read Scripture if we actually had that distinction so we could know when the you in the Scriptures is just me or is it us. And I think you'd be surprised by how many of those you's are plural if you actually looked at the original language. But think about this. How can we love one another without the other? How can we collaborate with each other without each other? <laughs> how can we be the people of mercy, show the world how God desires us to interact as a people, how to live into his ways if we don't have a people that we interact with that we don't have a people that we love on, right? As I like to say, if they see one of us acting really weird, different from the world, that's so less of a witness than all of us being really weird and loving like Jesus, right? So going back to the foreign embassy idea, as we, us, live our lives, we are meant to be the kingdom of God breaking into this world, Maybe even providing a little taste of heaven as we interact together. Could that be true? And this truly requires us to be a community. Our fourth C word. <laughs> Paul in the book of Ephesians spends the first three chapters of his letter describing this incredibly uh, put together description of all that God has done for us in Christ. And he kind of walks through this cosmic plan that we've all been called to be a part of his people, to be a part of his, his plan, to belong to him. And then he heads into chapter four, where he starts transitioning into this focus on how believers um, should live in response to all that God has done for us. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, that's a plural you, you, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received, plural. You have all received this calling from God, right? Be completely humble and gentle. This is the life worthy of the calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then a reminder again that we're together in this. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you, <laughs> you, <laughs> were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I mean, are you catching what this life lived together looks like? Humility, love, bearing with each other, <laughs> gentleness, 
I mean, it's describing a community, isn't it? A community with one another called to the unity of the Spirit. And we could look at passage after passage. This is not the only passage in Scripture that talks about this. It's in there over and over and over and over again. We are a community as the body of Christ, as the people of God. And the truth is that our faith journeys, as much as we try to make them individual, (laughs) are marked less with the buildings that we sit in, less with the, the music that we sing, that we go to individually and we leave individually, and so much more with people. Teachers who instructed us, mentors who discipled us, friends who are willing to come alongside of us and show up in our lives and pray for us and worship alongside of us, right? Musicians who would lead us in worship and on and on and on. Important people in our life investing in us. We are in this together. We are a community in Christ. And yet the American church oftentimes (laughs) seems to be less concerned with the group thing (laughs) and more concerned with the individual thing, right? Less concerned with actively pursuing unity in the spirit and more concerned in pursuing this individual-centric faith, faith apart from Christian community. A recent survey I read reported that 65% of Protestant churchgoers say that they can walk with God without other believers. 65%. What Bible are they reading? That's what I want to know. This individual focus to faith brings all sorts of problems. Let me just give you a couple. For one, when they have this individually focused faith, even though they're coming into the room, right, together, when they go to these gatherings of the church, they don't have the community in mind. What do they have in mind? They have them, me. (laughs) So we find in the American church this infighting, these church splits because they come into the room focused on me and what I want, right? It's not unity in the spirit. It's fighting for what I want. And you know what that leads to? It leads to more people not attending the gatherings. Why? <laughs> because what they see when they do attend doesn't provide hope at all. You know what it provides? <laughs> I mean, a bunch of people fighting about trivial things, I could get that anywhere, right? I can get that kind of junk anywhere. The church, and I know you guys understand this. I'm not beating on you guys. The church has got to be a place where we escape the cultural binds that usually keep us apart. Political tribalism, Sexism, racism, bigotry, you name it. We should be above that. And yet the church is becoming a place that's being identified by those things. Are you kidding me? The church should be a place where people feel safe to bring their struggles and sorrows. And yet many people, with good reason, do not feel safe at church. Truly, the Christian community can be a taste of God's kingdom in the here and now. Truly. 
We experience that here. But it can also be a place, if we're not careful, <laughs> that is less like heaven, more like hell, more like the world. And that is not the witness that God has in mind for us, right? That's not what we're trying to provide here. <laughs> and there is a way out of this. If we're going to curb these trends, if we are going to live into our calling as a people, we have to embrace our call to community that pursues unity in the Spirit. As believers, we must live a life that honors God through obedience, but also diligently, actively trying to live humbly, with patience for one another, with love for one another, with grace, as we deal with each other. The church has to be a place where grace abounds. The church has to be a place where grace abounds. Has to be a place. If we want to live in true unity, if we want to be that witness of hope in the world, we have to be a place of grace. I love Eugene Peterson's description of church. He actually shares it in his book, Practicing Resurrections, which is a great title for a book. He says this, the life into which we grow to maturity in Christ is a life formed in community. Maturity develops in worship as we develop in friendship with friends of God, but not just our preferred friends. Worship shapes us not only individually, but as a community, a church. If we are going to grow up into Christ, we have to do it in the company of everyone who is responding to the call of God. Whether we happen to like them or not has nothing to do with it. I mean, this is such a good description of the church, of what we are hoping to be. Yes, we are the mercy people. Yes, we are broken in various ways, <laughs> to differing degrees. Some of us are more challenging to be around than others. Yes, it's true. And yet, even within this brokenness comes hope. We are witnessing to the world the fact that God can even help the broken. Amen? We are witnessing to the world that God even loves the broken. As we see God working in and through us, as we allow God to use us to be the presence of God in our communities, in our world, in, our, in each other's lives, offering each other grace and mercy. I mean, doesn't that sound like a gathering that we can get behind? Even in differences, being unified in the spirit, being a people in community. You know, we often think about the power of the church in terms of what, what it does for Jesus. What I actually would say the greatest power in the church is the work that Jesus does in us and through us as the church. It's all him. I mean, aren't we all hungry for what community that only God can bring? Only God can bring this longing, purpose, grace, Mercy, 
the church, even in its imperfection, it helps us wrestle through difficult things. It helps us when we face things that don't have easy answers. Because we do it together. We do it together. I mean, are we willing to be committed to that kind of community here? And that is why Emmett Nazarene Church actually has a peculiar strategy for fulfilling its mission. You guys probably don't even know what our mission statement is. Well, let me just read it to you. It's to be the church. I could actually stop there. What is the church, right? You have to define that. But it is a little bit longer to be the church on the hill with the cross, reaching out to the Jim Valley and beyond to the whole world. And there's a class that we have. It's the Connect class, the Imanaz 101 class. And we talk about, truly, we gather together in the first part of that. We're just talking about how diverse we are. You realize we're in a Nazarene church, and in the eight years I've been here, I've actually brought two Nazarenes into membership. All the rest of you guys come from all sorts of different backgrounds. And even the Nazarenes have had different backgrounds. We come from all sorts of upbringings. I mean, the diversity in, the, in what God is sending us in this place, it's just amazing. It's unbelievable. And yet God is accomplishing things through us, helping us do what we're called to do. I mean, it gets me excited. Every time I teach that class, I'm going, holy cow. Hearing from the people who, who God is bringing to us. Which, by the way, there is another Connect class next Sunday after church. There's my plug. Let me know if you want to be a part of it. Um, you know what our strategy is as a local church to reach that mission that I just read? Listen to this. To provide a community for people to experience God in His grace. Let that soak in. <laughs> to provide a community for people to experience God and his grace. Now, you'll notice in this statement, it's not, we're, we're not trying to provide a place, providing a community. Not just any community, a community where we hope that people can experience God, and more specifically, his grace. Is that the kind of community that you're interested in? This kind of community is going to take some commitment. And that's why we offer the Connect class, actually. We want, to, we want to have you think through that and process through that. What does it look like to take a diverse group of people and unify around something, right? Unify around what God has for us. Doing this together. As we've been exploring these last few weeks, we talk in the class, the Connect class, about what the Bible has, a, has to say about the body of Christ. And you see a lot of things in Scripture about the body of Christ. You remember the Scriptures from 1 Corinthians 12 that we read earlier? Let me just make them a little bit more pointed and practical. Let me read a couple, three of them. Verse 7, verse seven now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, is given for the common good. Verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. 
And then verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So let me just kind of break that down starting with the last one, verse 27. What does verse 27 tell us? You can go on to the next slide, Judy. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Does that say that you get to choose if you are or you aren't? No, it actually says you are in, if you are in Christ, you are in his body. So the real question is, are you in Christ? Do you know Christ is your Savior? And if you do, you know what? You're a part of the body of Christ. <laughs> That's what that says. Second part. Who places the parts in the body? God does, right? Verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God places them just as he wants them to be. So if we see people joining into the church, the activities of the church, being a part of our gathering, what does that mean? It means that God's at work. That God is actually drawing people into this place, right? Thank you, God, for placing people in our church family. Thank you, God, for giving me a church family, right? And that is why we celebrate membership, actually, because God wants you to choose his ways. And part of that way is to recognize what he's doing in your life, right? When he's putting you into a body, when he's putting you into a church, when you recognize that, that's worship, right? You're living into his ways. And so we have this membership ritual where we invite new people into the body of Christ. And while we're doing that, we're, we're reminding those who have already recognized that God has put us here. But we're also allowing people who, for the first time, is rec are recognizing that, that God has put themselves, put them here, right? We're following God's lead here. So the third part, why does God add parts to the body? Why does God give people with gifts and abilities to the body? Verse seven, now to each one the manifestation of the spirit, the gifts and abilities is given for the common good. So why are we here? To each one of us, God has given us gifts and abilities, right? And it's for the common good. We are here to serve each other. So this morning, we actually, you know, this is good timing. We actually have a few people who have just taken a Connect class, and they would like to, you know, we'd like to actually honor them and have them stand in front of you, and um, they want to be connected to this body. They think that God's actually telling them that this is the place that they should be. So if you took the Connect class recently and you guys head, start heading up this way, if you're wanting to connect with Christ and his body, I'd really like to just close this service. I think it seems appropriate. Um, welcoming new parts. I'm going to get out of the way if you guys can kind of be somewhere in the middle here so that the camera can catch you and our camera person has to come up here. So that's part of that. All right. Um, membership. <laughs> Being part of a body 
is first of all a covenant relationship. That really is what we're talking about. And covenant meaning um, we interact together. It goes both ways, right? And this commitment that they're making is not to the pastor, not to the leaders of the church. The, connection, the, the commitment they're making is to you, to each other. That's what this is about, right? You and your church family. And this is also a covenant um, to support and encourage and pray for each other. Again, this is all about relationships. In your bulletins this morning, you have the membership covenant in there, and you can look at what they had to sign, and it's all about relationships. It's about having healthy relationships. That's what this is about. And within that is also a commitment to some of the ideals of what we've been talking about as, what, as far as what a church should be about, Right? A church on a mission, a church that collaborates together, including the global church, the Church of the Nazarene, as well as the local church, the image church of the Nazarene. And lastly, in our church, um, a member allows you the opportunity to have a voice when we vote, which is also nice. Um, in our church, there are two requirements for membership. Besides agreeing to the membership covenant, which all of these have done, um, membership also requires a confession of faith to Christ. Really can't be a part of the body without being, having Jesus as the head, right? Got to be connected to Jesus. So, I asked you guys this morning, do you affirm before this congregation that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? If so, say I do. And as we've read, do you believe that God is adding you to this body of Christ? If so, say I do. I do. God is adding you to to this church for a reason, as we've been discussing. He wants to do something through your life that helps all of us become more of what God wants from us. Will you allow God to work through you to make this body more complete? If so, say I will. Will you commit to supporting, encouraging, and praying for the members of the body? Will you open up your life to allow this body to minister to you and help you grow into all that God wants you to become? All right, and congrega congregation, this is, this is a covenant relationship. So would you stand with me? You have a part in this as well. Church, from the testimony that you have heard and seen, do you believe that God is adding these people to our body? If so, say we do. we do. Would you allow God to work in your life through them? If so, say we will. Will you commit to supporting, encouraging, and praying for the members of this body? Would you allow God to work through each one of you to help these people become all that God has planned for him or her? Very good. So God has added these believers to our body because he knew we needed them, right? What they have to offer is what we need to become more fully the body of Christ. So let's take that covenant seriously. <laughs> let's be working at connecting with each other as the body of Christ and knowing each other and allowing people to use their gifts and abilities. But this time it gives me great pleasure on behalf of the church to welcome these into membership. Kind of give them a, a hand. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, let me just introduce you here. James Dimoke, thank you. 
Lisa and Tyler, those to you, Christy and, and Mike, as he's often about this morning, and then Christina and, and Dennis. All right, that's awesome. Can I pray for you guys before we... Let's pray together. Lord God, you are an amazing God that puts together people who couldn't imagine being connected. And uh, you have great plans for the church. And Lord, we look forward to all that you are doing in our midst and really around the world, Lord, as you allow us to be your foreign embassy, as you allow us to, to represent you in your ways and your love and your grace and mercy in this world. As we have an opportunity to provide hope to this world and real peace, real joy. Lord, what an honor it is to be a part of your, your kingdom, your church, Lord. And help us, Lord, to take that seriously. Help us to take seriously that we are tied together in community and that we need to be supporting each other and praying for each other and helping us each one of us to grow in the Lord and helping each one of us to use our gifts and abilities. And we're just excited for all that you do for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Before you all go, let me give you a, a charge. Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen? So be the church this week. Be the people of mercy, willing to share what God has done in your life and as God is doing in your life. Be the people of collaboration, willing to work together, in Christ, enjoying our differences. Be the people of love, allowing the interests of God and the interests of our neighbors to be above our own. But also be a people of community, humbly pursuing unity in the Spirit, allowing God to work in us and through us. May the Lord bless you as he continues to grow you and us. Towards him, you are sent.